John chapter 17, verse 6 to 26. Let's give our attentive listening uh, to the reading of God's word. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. Not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things... I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you give us uh, not only the ability to hear you physically, but um, hear you from our hearts, uh, hear you humbly, hear you submittingly and obediently, so that Truly, we can receive your word of life that is beneficial to us, life-giving to us, uh, restoring to us. Uh, Lord, um, feed us uh, your daily bread now uh, as we give ear to your words. We pray uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. So starting this week, we are um, taking a break from our series in Revelation and uh, embarking on a new series uh, we're calling In Pursuit of a Healthy Church. In pursuit of a healthy church, and um, it, it's kind of amazing that to me that we're we're even here at this point to consider what we will be considering uh, in the coming series. It, it feels like it wasn't too long ago that we were over there worshiping in the, the the where the children are worshiping now, and not too long ago before that when we were 
in the children's chapel over there with, with only a few people. Um, and I'm really thankful for how God has given us uh, growth, development, and leading us to this point in this season where we need to consider um, what else does the scripture say about the structures that's needed and, and a relational culture that's needed so that we continue growing as a healthy church. And as a way of starting to consider this together, I thought it would be appropriate to start here with how Jesus prayed for the church and how he continues to pray for the church. If anybody um, has the church's best interest in mind, it will be the one who laid his life down for the church. Um, So we want to start with this. Look at the prayer of uh, our Savior, how he prays uh, for the church, for you and me. And this passage is uh, probably the most famous prayer of Jesus. Uh, It's prayed in the context of Jesus giving his disciples his final instructions before his death, his crucifixion. So uh, as it says in verse 11, I'm no longer in the world, they are in the world, and I'm coming to you, as in the Father. So he's kind of setting this up like his final words to his disciples before his death, before his ascension. And therefore, it must be absolutely vital then for his disciples to pay careful attention to what he's saying, because these are his, these, as it were, his final words. So let's look at this prayer and find out um, some important things Jesus gives us in this prayer. And I want to leave you with three, um, three things we can learn from how Jesus prays for the church. And the first thing is, from his prayer, we learn what his perception of the church is, his perception of the church. Secondly, his prescription for the church. And, and third, his purpose for the church. All right, that should be fairly easy to remember. His perception of the church, prescription for the church, purpose for the church. All right, so uh, point number one, Jesus' perception of the church. Uh, Verse six, he says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Okay, so first notice the use of the they and them and how that's just repeated all throughout this prayer whenever he refers to the people, right? I am praying for them. I have guarded them. I have given them your word, okay? So what you can learn about Jesus' perception here immediately, just on the surface is, first and foremost, he perceives his people as a community, as a plurality of people. It's a they and a them. The church is a community that's brought together to be a single entity called the church. He's, he's, he's not praying for a group of very scattered individuals here and there. He's praying for a collected, assembled people called the church. That's his perception. Okay. I don't know if you've heard this. Uh, I've heard this now and then. I think it's well-intentioned when uh, people, people ask this. Um, isn't it possible for someone to be a good Christian without going to church or without being an active part of the church? And, and I think that's a difficult question to answer without understanding what does this person really mean by a Christian? Um, do you mean by Christian, uh, a healthy Christian who's 
maturing day by day? Or by Christian, do you mean someone who's struggling very much, who's unsure very often of their personal salvation? Uh, it depends on what you mean. And I remember a pastor putting it like this. If, if you were to ask whether what Jesus would think about that and, and ask him whether we can be uh, the kind of Christian that he intends us to be without being part of the church, his answer would probably be absolutely not. Because the last thing on Jesus' mind in his final moments is the church. Because that was his mission. So his final prayer is also for the church. So for anyone to come along and say, well, I think Jesus will be okay with me not being a part of his greatest mission on earth to establish the church, then you're probably misunderstanding uh, who Jesus is or what his mission on earth really was. He came to call his people to be the church. And so the Christian life must be lived together. It must be lived together. It must be um, in this form of a gathered, visible church. And we can't simply say, well, I'm part of the invisible church, and I'm fine with that. Well, uh, not if you want to be the kind of Christian Jesus intends you to be. And, and the way that Jesus is praying that you will be, to be part of a collected, gathered people. Um, notice another very important thing here about Jesus' perception. He says repeatedly, the people whom the Father has given me, given me. Okay. Verse 6, and then again in verse 9, again in verse 12. Well, these are the people whom the Father has given me. Meaning what? When Jesus sees his people, what he sees is a, is a people that belong to him. He owns them. People who do not belong to themselves, but to, to him. To him. Uh, he alone, as we, as we find in, in our book of church order, he alone is the head and king over the church. It's not pastors. It's not, and we don't have bishops, or it's not a pope. Christ alone, he is the king and head over the church. And as much as I love our church, I, as much as I am thankful for this ministry, um, and we have a lot to celebrate, we have to also really come to grips with the fact that NCA and NCAEM is not our church. This is not our church. It's Jesus' church. Uh, this is not our ministry. This is not Pastor John's ministry or Pastor Kevin's ministry. Not even your ministry. This is Jesus' ministry. That's how he perceives it. That's how we should perceive it. We belong to him. And so everything we do ought to conform to that and head in that direction and not the other way around. Um, not cementing sort of this, uh, we belong to ourselves and this is who we are, this is what NCA is about. No, we should, in all that we preach and sing and confess and exercise and worship and sacraments and fellowship and discipleship, all should really help us move in this direction of realizing more and more we are not our own but we belong body and soul uh, to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And right, notice what he doesn't say as well. Uh, notice Jesus doesn't say, Father, you have, you have given them to me on Sundays. Right? Uh, you have given them to me partially. He doesn't say that. You have given them in their entirety to me. 
Uh, it's not as though God has appointed the Sabbath day for worship and, and, and prayer and, and fellowship. In the other six days, he tells us, you belong to you. Um, no, we belong to Christ. That's what it means to be part of the people, part of the church. We belong to him entirely, wholly. That would be uh, truly being the church. It's when we are the church outside the church. Uh, going beyond the church building to holistically belong to Christ. To let Jesus lord over not just your Sundays, uh, but also your, your career path, uh, your money, your possessions, your dreams, your goals, all of your identity, all of your singleness, all of your relationships with your neighbors, with even your enemies. Uh, the church recognizes that these are Jesus' domains, and we recognize and we in fact welcome him to be Lord over every square inch of that. It's all his all belongs to him. Paul says in, uh, to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5.9, So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Okay. So that is to say, in every place we exist, uh, we ought to be able to say, I, I live here, I, I occupy this space, I do the things I do here, I relate to the people I relate to here in order to please him. I want to feel God's pleasure in the things I do, the people I relate to, the, the things I say, the things I pursue, I want to feel God's pleasure in these things. That's life of the church. And that's Jesus' prayer for you, that your life would conform more and more to that. So uh, he prays for us. He, he sees us as people who are to be gathered and collected and one, and as people who belong entirely and wholly to him. That's, that's his perception. That's his perception. Um, second, we also get from his prayer, his prescription for us, what we are to do, what we are to pursue. Um, verse 8 and 9 says this, For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed, they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them, I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Okay, when Jesus says, I'm praying for them, the church, but I'm not praying for the world, he's referring to the prayer right now. This prayer, uniquely, distinctly, is for the church. And it also tells us clearly, even in the prayer, like in verse 14, we are to be very unique and distinct from the world as well, because we are a people that God has, Jesus has specific prayers for. He prays for the church in a way he does not pray for those who are not of the church. We are to be set apart from the world in a very distinct and unique way, so much so that the world would hate us for it, like it says in verse 14. Okay, distinct in what way? Uh, he tells us, the words that you gave me, they received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. Okay, so the church receives the words that Jesus has given them, and they believe in him. They trust in him, his message about his kingdom. They believe in his message about his salvation, that he came to save sinners, to reconcile them to God, and renew his people, bring them into a renewed world. 
believing that sets you apart from the world. Because in a way, believing that means you, you do not see the world as your ultimate home. In fact, it, you, you were saved from the world to get home. And so to believe in the gospel message really does set you apart from the rest of the world because the rest of the world is trying to find a home here. They're trying to build a home in the here and now. Find the land of Canaan, the promised land, here. When Hebrews tells us very clearly, uh, even, the, even our forefathers in the Old Testament, they longed for a better promised land and a better city. That is the heavenly one. So when you believe that message, it sets your agenda completely apart from the world's, which is to make themselves a very comfortable home, permanent home in the here and now. So that's one. He prescribes this belief to us. Right? If you're the church, you believe this. And then he goes on to say, starting from verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one being kept from the evil one. Okay, that alludes to uh, spiritual warfare that the church faces. And he says in verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So he says that the church are the people of God who are being sanctified in the truth. And the truth is his word. Right. That's the other thing that he prescribes to the church here. You are to be sanctified in the here and now according to his word. And that will set you apart from the rest of the world. But I want to add this too. When you are pursuing being sanctified by the word, you may actually be setting yourself apart not only from the world, but from certain religious Christians as well. Here's what I mean. There is a difference, a world of difference between outward obedience to what God says and internally being sanctified to desire after what God says. That's sanctification. When your inner qualities, your character is conforming to God's commands and not just your hands and feet. Because you can do that like a Pharisee, outwardly obeying God. In your heart, you have no desire. Uh, to conform to the image of Christ, to the character of Christ. True sanctification would be, you really are, on the inside, becoming more and more like Jesus, and not just habituating yourself into Christian conduct and religious behavior. So you're not only setting yourself apart from the world, you're setting yourself apart, maybe more importantly, um, from outward religious behavior as well. That's sanctification, and that's what Jesus is prescribing for the church, for our, all of our thoughts, actions, and volition to actually conform to Christ. That's Jesus' prayer for you and me, your sanctification in his truth. Your sanctification in his truth. Um, I'm, I'm always encouraged to hear in you know, my, whether it's coffee conversations or people coming for pastoral counseling, and I often hear people say uh, near the end of our conversation, uh, thank you, that was helpful, but it's also surprising to me how obvious that is. They'll say, it's so obvious, but it's, it's kind of interesting how it's, it's helpful all of a sudden. And that's, that's to be expected because I'm only telling you in a sense what you already know in principle. Oftentimes what we're going over, right, after we share and we, we go to God together, 
what you're hearing from me often are things that you already know. What's, what's happening in reality? Well, you're taking what you know and you're applying it. You're applying it to your life for your sanctification. Through prayer, through counsel, you're, you're applying. And, and all the raw emotions of your trials are present there. Uh, the, the tension you feel between faith and doubt are present there. Your desire to obey God and the part of you that says, I don't want to obey God, they're present there. And as you obey God there and press into God's truth there, you're, you're really, I mean, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where you're truly being sanctified. You're applying what you know to life. That's how we grow. Not simply by knowing, but applying what we know. And that is, um, utterly distinct from the world, isn't it? Right. The world conforms more and more to itself, its own sort of comfort. Uh, it rests in its own comfort zone, whereas the, wor- the, the gospel pulls you out of your comfort zone constantly and stretches you and sanctifies you and sharpens, refines you in the fire furnace. Um, the world doesn't tell you that's a good idea. Uh, the world says, um, go with your, your heart. Right? Be true to yourself. Be true to yourself. Um, and that, that autonomous right to live according to one's own will, um, that's something that the world doesn't let go. It holds on to it more and more strongly. Whereas if you're part of the church, it's something you surrender more and more to the Lord. Something you surrender more and more to the Lord. Um, this idea of I only need to be true to myself, if you really think about it, uh, it it's actually unlivable, even if you leave God out of the picture for a moment. It's unlivable on its own. Um, I only need to be true to myself, all right? Which version of myself? Uh, the self I think I, I ought to be or the, the self that I feel that I ought to be because sometimes my thoughts and my feelings conflict, which is true me. The, the self I feel in the moment or the self I hope to be in the future? What's the truer version of me the self that i'm peer pressured by friends to be or by my family to be or by my culture to be what is truly myself and the world kind of leaves you in that place of confusion I'll, i'm going to mention this illustration one last time I'm, I'm ready to retire this illustration when mulan says who is that girl i see staring back at me when will my reflection show who I am inside? Uh, what she's not saying is that my reflection shows a reflection of my tradition, my culture, my upbringing, all the pressures that are around me. Uh, so being true to myself often means being true to those things that are surrounding me and, and conforming me to them. It's, that's unavoidable. And it just leaves us in this cycle of confusion. Right? Does running away from this pressure and caving to this pressure mean I'm becoming more of myself? And we just become a pendulum swinging from one end to the other. More individualism. No, maybe I, sh- I need more family. No, maybe I need more fa- No, I need more individualism. What does Scripture say? Scripture says instead of, instead of focusing on being true to yourself, be true to God. Be true to truth. Uh, and we'll become more holistic as a human being in a way that God intended us to be, his image bearers, his image bearers. 
And that does take sanctification. It does take being pulled out of your comfort zone in situations and relationships. But through that, we become more and more like Christ. That's what he prays for the church. He longs for the church to go through this sanctification through his truth. To not remain as we are, but to grow from where we are to the next level of maturity. And as we do so more and more, what, what will our true reflection show? Christ. It will show Christ. And know, know that, yeah, the world is not interested in, in Jesus, much less living like Jesus. And, and you need to put a category to that. That's worldliness. Life without Christ. Life without conformity to Christ. Life conformity to the world. That's worldliness. And I'm here being part of the church, living a completely distinct life, a very different life where I'm conforming to Christ, even if it causes me all sorts of discomfort, messes up my priorities, and I don't get to choose who to love or who not to love. But I'm part of the church. Uh, Jesus says this in verse 10, All mine are yours, yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am glorified in them. This means the Christian is someone the Son of God chooses to show his glory through. Put differently, it's through Christians that Jesus says to the world, look at how my mission is succeeding. Look at how my gospel promises are coming true in this person being forgiven, restored, free from condemnation and guilt, and now living a life unto God, growing into the image of Christ. Look at him, look at her, look at them. They are the evidence that my mission is true. It's accomplished. My gospel is reality. He is glorified in and through us. That's what that means. Is God's mission to the world being proven true in my life? That's, that's, that's the Christian question. Is God's mission to the world being, being true, proven true through my marriage, through my singleness, through my friendships, through my workplace, through my campus life, through my parenting does my life prove God's mission to be true? Am I glorifying him through my life? And it is a very countercultural question to ask, isn't it? Right? What is God's mission for my life and all of my life? What is, what is his mission for me in all of these arenas, spheres of my life? Um, and, and not once asking, what is my mission for my life? Do you know how countercultural that is? But we are called to be here, given that we do belong to him, to not wonder about, am I happy here at this church? Am I pleased by all that's going around me? But is he? Is he pleased by what's going on? What's being sung? What's being prayed? What's being preached? Would he be pleased? Because it's his church, not ours. So he prescribes for us sanctification in his truth, coming out of our comfort zone, digging deeper into Christ-likeness. All right, that's his prescription for the church. Lastly, um, let's look at his purpose, his purpose for the church. Verse 22 and 23, he says, The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, 
that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Uh, the word that is a helpful word because it's a term that signifies purpose. It's there so that right, we would know what must follow from what was previously said. It's, a, it's a sort of a purpose transition. So the first that statement in verse 22 is that they may be one. They may be one. Uh, Jesus' prayer for the church is that the church would be united as one. And one day in verse 23, it says, even perfectly one. So one of the main purposes for which we are to gather together is not simply to gather and find ourselves in the same building, but through life together, we grow in unity. We grow in unity around Christ and around one another. Um, that's really why we're pursuing uh, this new teaching series as well, to, to see how we can unite more and more around Christ as we explore what the Bible says about healthy um, governmental structures in the church and, and healthy relational culture in the church. Because you need both. You need the, you need the raw material, the, the governmental structure, right? not according to what Fortune 500 companies are saying, what Scripture is saying. Um, not that their principles are all bad. There's some helpful things there too, but principally, mainly, what Scripture is saying. And then on the other hand, uh, all that the Scripture gives us in order to maintain a relationally healthy culture. Right? And uh, the church kind of learns that the hard way if you look at the New Testament church, but nevertheless, a lot of helpful things there for us to, to glean from. We need both a healthy governmental structure and a healthy relational culture, and we'll be exploring that throughout the series, but the the goal is that through that we become more one, and it's not even oneness for oneness' sake. If you look at verse twenty six, he tells us what he's really, really aiming for. Ultimately, even with healthy structures and oneness, what does that get us? Verse twenty six: I made to known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. The point of healthy structures and healthy relationships is love. It's love. And not just any love. It's not just sentimental love. It's not just, right? Uh, the Christian conception of love is defined. It's not love is love, which is undefined. Uh, Christian conception of love is Christ. It's Christ. His self-giving love. Sacrificial love. Needs of others ahead of my own kind of love. Laying my life down kind of love. Right. What does that look like? Not so much like uh, flowers and chocolates. Nothing wrong with giving flowers and chocolates to your wives or husbands, whatever you, you prefer. It looks more like the cross. That's what it looks like. Our love is defined, and, and he's, he's calling us to unite around that for that purpose, the purpose of growing in love. So you would become more lovely and more loving like Christ. He's praying in this very moment for you and me to be more lovely and more loving. That is Jesus' prayer for you and me. For the church. Now, if you think about the, the previous two points, 
or his perception, we should be in community, gathered. And his prescription, we must be sanctified through his word. If you think about it, what is that leading up to? Without these two things, right, we neither have the context nor the power to love. Okay. The, the where and the how. It's leading up to the purpose, the ultimate purpose of love. Love. Right? We get both from the church. Right? Jesus is saying, exercise this love here. And here, get the power to do that here as well. And by the way that you love one another, let the world know that you are, you are the real ones. You, you are the real disciples. Right? Um, the world will know that you are truly my disciples by the way you love one another. That's what Jesus said. So let's always remember this, that our purpose ultimately right, is to conform, be conformed together to the love of Christ. And we're called here in particular, uh, for those of you who are here, to, to begin exercising that here in the visible church. Um, you will, right, in this church, run into people who are incompatible uh, with you. If you haven't already, you will. <laughs> and you will therefore run into difficult, um, challenging situations, relationships, uh, things that may frustrate you or really stress you out, maybe even cause you to be angry. But when you run into these negative feelings and, and situations, please know this, you are exactly where Jesus wants you to be. You are about to be stretched in your loveliness and your capacity to love. That is his primary agenda for you, for you to grow in your love. If we love only those who love us, we are not at all distinct from the world, Jesus says. It's when you love those who hate you, no idea how to love you back. Everything you do, none of it is reciprocated. When you love them still, you become distinct from the world. You're displaying love defined, Christ, his love. And that's his prayer for you. That's his prayer for me. Because that's his purpose for the church. That's his purpose for his church. So, if, as we said earlier, if this is not our church, uh, let's keep in mind, our purpose here then is not to be selective and do church with our kind of people. Uh, it's Jesus' church, and therefore he will likely continue to call and gather all of his people um, for the sake of sanctifying us and challenging us to, to love in, in the very difficult moments so that through it you become more like the Son of God. Um, apart from Jesus' perception of who we are and his prescription for us, without his purpose to love as he loves, we will never be a healthy church. No matter how big we get or how attractive we become on the outside, we will never be a healthy church until we see ourselves the way Jesus sees us, until we focus on what he prescribes for us, and 
we make his purpose for his church our sole and our greatest purpose. But as we hold on to that, as we hold on to him, as we worship him continually as our our king, head of the church, he's going to hold us fast. He's going to bring the growth. Uh, He's going to bring sanctification. He will make you lovely and loving as he is lovely and loving. So let's pray in this coming season that Christ will increase over us here at NCA and that we would in some ways decrease in our preferences, our needs or things we may feel entitled to, laying those things down so we can focus on what will please our King and our Lord. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your Son, our Savior, our Redeemer, uh, in whom we find uh, really our true selves being restored, our whole selves uh, being found again in, in the perfect man who who lived for us, who died for us, who, who resurrected for us, now prays for us so that we would be with you and see you as he sees you. Uh, Lord, we long for that day. Uh, until then, we thank you that you've given us the church to be reminded of what those prayers are and what the desires of our Lord and Savior are so that we can pursue them, we can remain in them, live according to them so that we will not be distracted. We will not mistake this life, this world to be our only life and only home so that you will lift our eyes and look up to see uh, where, where the sun is because that's where we will be. Lord, keep our eyes fixed on him, our spiritual eyes on him. And as often as we partake of even the Lord's Supper, Uh, remind us uh, just how he's setting us apart from the world. The world says we must break ourselves to fit in, to be righteous, to be acceptable. Help us hear your gospel instead. Your son was broken for us so we can feed upon him and find all that we need in him. Encourage us once again with this truth. Comfort us. Restore us to spiritual health um, as we partake of your, of your body and your blood. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.